What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this look back at the summer season, not the summer movie season. I've already done that on Charts with Dan about a week and a half ago. No, we are looking back at the Disney summer season, because when you go back to the beginning of May, this has been one of the most tumultuous, controversy-filled periods probably in the history of the Walt Disney Company. I decided to look back at just a couple of the things as I was trying to brainstorm videos to do, and as I went back, there were things I kept digging up that I said, I can't even remember that happening this summer, but it just kept piling on. So I want to look back at this absolute nightmare of a summer that Disney had from the beginning of May when it had seemingly a bright outlook with a strong summer slate to Labor Day, basically, where nobody was working, the company's stock price was plummeting, it wasn't on the air in several networks around the country, and all of its movies ended up losing the company, by my calculations at least, hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office. So get in a time machine with me and let's go all the way back to the beginning of May. And as I said, it was a rosy day to be Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney. The company had a full summer slate featuring Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Elemental, The Haunted Mansion, The Little Mermaid, all movies that would seem like a lineup of winners. I mean, a live action remake, a Pixar movie, a Lucasfilm movie, a Marvel movie, and then a movie that's based on a very popular Disney attraction. That seems like hit after hit after hit. Well, that's not quite what happened. Things got much, much worse from there. On May 2nd, the Writers Guild of America went on strike and Disney productions like Andor were heavily affected as writer-producers like Tony Gilroy at first attempted to do their producing duties and not their writing duties, but eventually were pressured into walking away from the productions altogether. Disney ended up threatening the writers with suspending their overall deals, which is something that they have started to do now as the strike has gone on, but this was not a fortuitous way to begin the summer season for Disney or anybody in the entertainment industry. May 5th saw the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the sole unambiguous bright spot on Disney's summer slate. Guardians Volume 3 generated $850 million worldwide, not a record-busting revenue, but enough to give it a nice return in the theatrical window, plus a nice return when you add in all of the other markets. 
On May 10th, Disney delivered a quarterly financial report announcing that while losses in their streaming division were shrinking, they were still over $600 million in the second fiscal quarter of 2023. The company also announced that it would be removing over $1 billion worth of content from its streaming services in order to cut costs over time. Despite these cost-cutting measures, many analysts were still very skeptical of Disney's financial performance because of these shortfalls in the streaming divisions and because of shortfalls and decreasing revenue across broadcast divisions like ESPN, which would blow up into its own controversy later in the summer. On May 12th, a lawsuit in California federal court was filed by a group of investors against Disney, claiming that the company attempted to hide its true streaming costs in order to draw attention away from its billions in losses by airing shows like the Mysterious Benedict Society and Doogie Kame Aloha MD on their TV networks, which allowed them to shift costs away from streaming to their legacy media divisions. The suit also alleged that the former CEO, Bob Chapek, had overblown Disney's ability to make Disney Plus profitable by the end of 2024, which was a statement that he made many times in the early days of Disney Plus. And the suit also alleges that he recklessly pushed the company toward a streaming first strategy after subscribers were boosted during the COVID-19 pandemic, that he basically said, oh, look at all these new subscribers. This is the only thing we're gonna focus on, ignoring the legacy divisions and ultimately implementing a short-sighted strategy that's put the company in financial peril. Disney vowed to fight this lawsuit and it is still winding its way through the legal system. On May 18th, after just over a year in operation, Disney's Galactic Star Cruiser, their extremely expensive Star Wars-themed hotel, announced that it would be closing its doors later in 2023. The immersive hotel, which costs guests a minimum of $1,200 a day for a two-night maximum stay in a mock-up Star Cruiser with no windows, cost Disney a reported $400 million and five years to develop and build. The Galactic Star Cruiser actually closes its doors for good at the end of this this month on September 30th, and I never got the entire reasoning behind this. Okay, let's build a hotel, but you never leave the hotel. So you go all the way to Orlando, but you go into the park once, and you ride one ride, and then you go back to the hotel. You have no contact with the outside world. You can only stay for two nights. So if you're there on vacation, then you have to get other arrangements at other hotels. It is heinously expensive, and it's not all-inclusive either. The rooms were apparently quite small, so it's not exactly luxury accommodations, and the whole thing theme of the hotel is that you have to participate in this sort of immersive role-playing thing that if that's not really your thing, then you're not really going to get the value out of the experience. It seemed like such a niche idea. When I heard that they were going to open a Star Wars hotel and the inside looked like a Star Cruiser, I'm like, oh my god, that's the best idea ever. But then I heard all of the bells and whistles and strings that came with it. It's no wonder that it closed, and I think that this was a colossally stupid idea that I'm honestly surprised lasted as long as it did. The same day, speaking of short-sighted, colossally stupid ideas, Disney premiered Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny at the Cannes Film Festival over a month before the movie opened with a handful of critics gaining access to see the film and file their reviews before anyone else. Early reviews on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny were mixed to negative, which meant that the movie sat on Rotten Tomatoes with a rotten score for a few weeks before any other critics were allowed to see it, which basically cut the legs 
out from the early marketing of the film. It dampened the fan enthusiasm. People were already skeptical because of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yes, this was only a handful of reviews, but for the average person looking at Rotten Tomatoes, they don't see the number of reviews. They just see the green splat. And all it did was fuel people that had been against this movie from the very beginning. It was a disastrously short-sighted misstep. I guess they had confidence that all of the critics that went to see it early would love the movie and it would have some great advanced buzz. Yeah, that's not what happened. It's not the entire reason why Dial of Destiny failed at the box office, but I think it is definitely one of the big reasons. On May 22nd, Disney began its third round of big layoffs, reportedly giving pink slips to approximately 2,500 employees across divisions, joining the thousands of other Disney employees that had already been laid off to cut company costs. And on May 26th, Disney began the process of pulling programming off of its streaming services, including the original series Willow, The World According to Jeff Goldblum, Why the Last Man, and the Mighty Ducks Revival series. Basically, hundreds of millions or over a billion dollars worth of programming and money that Disney had invested in that programming was gone overnight, not to be found or seen anywhere else unless it happens to be licensed somewhere else. That same day on May 26th, The Little Mermaid hit theaters nationwide to mixed to positive critical reception. It did not become a breakout box office hit, struggling especially in international markets. And a movie that many had assumed was going to be a billion dollar worldwide hit instead is struggling to break even. By my own estimates, it's going to lose money in the theatrical window, but will probably break even with things like merchandising and availability on other platforms, VOD rentals, digital sales, etc. It apparently drew a lot of people to Disney Plus, which is something that the company values, but still, the fact that The Little Mermaid wasn't an absolute win is a bit of a loss. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. For Disney. On May 27th, Disney made the same mistake twice because they also screened Elemental out of competition at the Cannes Film Festival. While the buzz was slightly more positive than reactions to The Dial of Destiny, it was still mixed, deflating expectations for the movie, which were already struggling because the Pixar brand had been damaged by Disney sending so many of the previous films straight to Disney+, Plus, even after other movies were going back to theaters. Again, strategic short-sightedness and poor planning hurt one of Disney's premier summer box office assets before it even started its box office run. On June 7th, labor issues also affected Disney operations overseas as Disneyland Paris saw protests over a protracted dispute with cast members that started last year spill over into widespread demonstrations inside the theme park, which is almost unheard of for the most tightly regulated place on Earth. I do not see this happening at either Disneyland or Disney World here. I think they would shut the park down before they let families see striking workers walking down Main Street, USA. On June 13th, Disney pushed back release dates for several movies, including moving the next two Avengers films back a full year to 2026 and 2027, as well as the next Avatar film back by a year. Some people said, well, you need to give these things a little bit of time to breathe, which you do, but if you leave these things out of theaters for too long, then you might risk what seems to already be happening anyway, which is a gradual loss of interest. 
On June 16th, Pixar's Elemental finally opened at the box office to less than $30 million. While the movie has proven popular internationally and had staying power domestically, it will reportedly only barely eke out a profit and underscores Disney's weakness surprisingly in the last few years when it comes to theatrical animated films. Lightyear did not do well. Strange World last year did not do well. Even Encanto, which was a huge Disney hit, didn't really catch fire until streaming. Now, you could say, well, that's because it was one of the first animated films to get back into theaters as they were reopening. And I guess you can use that, but still, I think Encanto should have done better, and movies like Lightyear and Strange World definitely should have done better. So Disney Animation now also in trouble when it comes to the box office. On June 21st, Marvel's Secret Invasion premiered on Disney+. Plus. The six-episode series generated lackluster reviews, ratings, and fan response for a storyline that was once touted as one of the franchise's most promising and perhaps most anticipated. It was also the second high-profile MCU project this year to fall victim to lackluster response after Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. To top things off, the opening credits of Secret Invasion set off a social media firestorm over the use of AI-generated art, a technology that was a hotly contested issue in the writer's strike at the time and would soon also be on the table for the actors. On June 30th, ESPN, a Disney division that has faced steep losses with the decline of cable TV, laid off several high-profile on-air personalities, including Jeff Van Gundy, Max Kellerman, Susie Kolber, and Jalen Rhodes. And that same day, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny opened to a lackluster $60 million domestically. It went on to become the lowest-grossing Indiana Jones film ever at the domestic box office, unadjusted for inflation and by many people's projections including mine is set to lose the studio over 200 million dollars because this is how corporate america works on july 12th bob Iger's contract was extended through 2026 keeping him at the company two years longer than anticipated and the next morning bob Iger gave an interview criticizing the on-strike writers and the actors who were negotiating with the producers Iger's comments fueled an already raging fire against the studios and against the ceos specifically and really he put a face to the anger that so many on the picket lines were already feeling and Keep in mind that he said these things on the last day of negotiations between the actors and the AMPTP, and the next day at 12.01 a.m., the actors went on strike. SAG-AFTRA called a strike their first in 40 years, which effectively halted all production on movies and shows that were still shooting. This one was just embarrassing. The next day, on July 15th, despite all of the actors being on strike, not able to do promotion for their movies, and not attending the red carpet premiere of The Haunted Mansion, Disney moved ahead with the event at Disneyland with its park characters walking the red carpet instead. And I'm sorry, this was just embarrassing to watch. If you're throwing the Miss America pageant and all of the Miss America contestants get food poisoning and none of them can show up, you don't hold the event anyway and say, well, you know, the Miss America contestants can't show up, so we're going to have all of the stagehands compete instead. No, that's not how it works. I understand that Disney was trying to salvage something, but it just looks sad and pathetic. You canceling your red carpet premiere was not going to have 
any adverse effects on the Haunted Mansion box office because the movie did a pretty good job of that itself. On July 20th, production on the buzziest Star Wars series that Disney had, Andor, was reported to be shutting down after finishing the shooting that it could do with its non-SAG-AFTRA actors. And on July 28th, Haunted Mansion opened a week after the Barbenheimer phenomenon and flopped massively. Its $150 million budget isn't even covered by its $100 million worldwide gross. And this movie also is projected to lose over $100 million for the studio. On August 9th, Disney delivered another fiscal report for the third quarter, saying that streaming losses had shrunk to just $512 million. It also reported cost savings of over $5 billion, partially due to the 7,000 layoffs across all divisions of the company. Still, the company missed its revenue estimates for the quarter, and perhaps not coincidentally, on the same investor call, Bob Iger announced that both Disney Plus and Hulu would be raising their prices by $3 a month, the second price raise for Disney Plus in the last year. On August 15th, the onset VFX workers for Marvel Studios filed a notice that they wanted to form a union. Election ballots were actually returned earlier this week. This raises even more labor headaches for Disney because if VFX workers were to unionize, then the cost of visual effects would surely go up, and Disney and Marvel have already been under criticism for a system that produces visual effects as fast and as cheaply as possible. A lot of those tactics wouldn't work with a unionized VFX industry. That same day, TSG, a longtime producing partner with 20th Century Studios, filed a lawsuit against Disney alleging that the studio cut sweetheart deals that lowered the licensing fees for several movies they invested in in order to secure rights to stream the movies on Disney platforms and prop up subscriber growth and the stock price. I did a whole video on the story. TSG also alleged that Disney and Fox had charged them for millions of dollars in distribution fees that they shouldn't have been charged. And again, this case is still winding its way through the legal system, of course, but TSG estimates that Disney may owe the company hundreds of millions of dollars, so even an out-of-court settlement may be very expensive for Disney to pay. We have a lot more of this nightmare summer to break down, but before we do, I'm going to thank the sponsor for this video. This episode is brought to you by Stamps.com. I know it's crazy to think about, but the time to start planning for the holidays is here. And if you're running a business, that means you're probably sending more than you do all year. You're trying not to have that crazy year-end rush with all the stress, but more mail doesn't have to mean more stress. Stamps.com has been helping businesses like yours save time and money for 25 years, and it can help you get ready for the holiday ramp up. Stamps.com is your own personal post office wherever you are because all you need is a computer and a printer. They even send you a free scale so you'll have everything you need to get started. I'm on the road a lot, and it's great knowing that if I have stuff to send out, I have a mobile post office ready to go anywhere I am. You can easily schedule pickups on your Stamps.com dashboard, and they've made things even easier with the Stamps.com mobile app. And if you sell products online, Stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Using Stamps.com, you can also get huge carrier discounts up to 84% off USPS and UPS rates to help your bottom line, and they'll help you find the cheapest and best shipping option for you. Get your business ready for the holiday rush. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code MERLE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale, no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MERLE. 
On August 21st, Bob Iger reportedly attended a meeting between the AMPTP and the Writers Guild to inform the Guild that the offer currently on the table would be the studio's best and final offer. After the Writers Guild refused to take the offer, the AMPTP released it to the media, which infuriated the WGA because it broke a media blackout. The Writers Guild thought that the AMPTP was trying to do an end around and pressure it into accepting the deal, and this resulted in the complete breakdown of negotiations between the writers and the AMPTP despite the fact that it seemed like they were making real progress on key issues. So among other CEOs, Bob Iger was reportedly there in the room using this high-pressure tactic that completely and catastrophically blew up the situation. Two days later, on August 23rd, a lawsuit from a different set of investors was filed, alleging basically the same thing as the May investor lawsuit, that Disney hid the true costs of streaming and overstated the potential of Disney+. Keep in mind with all of these other legal wranglings that Disney is also in an ongoing and protracted court case against the sitting governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, and his move to strip Disney of control over the special district that they had enjoyed control over for decades, Disney claims this was a violation of their First Amendment rights, and they are looking to have those rights awarded back to them. On August 28th, following the lead of the Marvel Studios workers, VFX workers for Walt Disney Studios also informed the studio of their intent to unionize, pushing the visual effects industry closer to unionization overall. And on August 31st, after a dispute over fees couldn't be resolved, Disney channels went dark on the country's second biggest cable provider, Charter Spectrum. This meant that over 14 million cable subscribers across the country lost access to all channels owned by Disney, including local ABC affiliates, in cities like Los Angeles, as well as ESPN on the first weekend of college football. This dispute was over something called carriage fees or carrier fees, and it's basically how much Disney charges Spectrum in order to allow them to carry all of their different channels. ESPN has been a popular channel for decades now, and so the fee that it charges cable companies to carry it on their service has always been very high, but ESPN viewership has been declining steadily as cable viewership has declined, and so what once were fees that cable companies really had no choice to pay because ESPN was in such high demand, they're now saying, well, wait a minute, we don't want to pay that much because it's not worth it what you're asking. After 10 days, a deal was struck which returned stations like FX ESPN and those local affiliates to charter subscribers, but some stations like Freeform, FXX, and Disney Junior were not returned, meaning that viewers of shows like Archer, Bluey, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, ones that watched it on cable, will no longer be able to watch those shows because those networks are no longer carried by Charter Spectrum. As part of the deal, Disney agreed to furnish Disney Plus with ads to subscribers on the Spectrum TV Select tier. That's basically your basic cable TV, 150 channels or so package. And people at a higher cable tier would also receive ESPN Plus as part of their cable subscription. So in a quarter or two quarters, look for big reports from Disney about this huge influx of Disney Plus subscribers. That's because it's being handed out now to cable subscribers in the same way that AT T customers got HBO and HBO Max. You never quite know how many people are using it, but you can technically count these people as subscribers. 
So as we wrap out the summer, where does this leave Disney compared to where we were a few months ago? Well, when you look at the big picture, Disney stock is currently trading at around $83 a share, down from around 100 at the beginning of the summer and roughly where it fell in March of 2020. It's also less than half the value it was in early 2021 when the stock was trading at close to $200 a share. The company has an unclear future regarding streaming with a revenue model that they're not really sure works. Several key franchises that are in creative disarray, a stock price at the same level it was at the outbreak of the COVID pandemic, two ongoing labor stoppages that have halted all scripted creative output, multiple lawsuits alleging that the company misled investors and shareholders about the potential of streaming, plus a dire forecast for the company's linear TV investments, which were once a revenue driver for the company as a whole. And oh yeah, as one of the most famous TV detectives ever that nobody watching this video probably remembers, there's just one more thing, which is that Disney is also about to shell out billions of dollars to buy Hulu. As a provision of Disney's merger with Fox back in 2019, which gave the company majority control of Hulu, Comcast can force Disney to buy out its remaining 33% share in the service, which was initially run as a cooperative venture between several different studios. An agreement was actually struck about a week ago that allows this deal to move forward more quickly than anticipated. It can happen now on or before September 30th instead of next January. And every indication is that Comcast fully intends to exercise their option and force Disney to buy out its shares of Hulu. In 2019, Disney and Hulu agreed on a $27.5 billion valuation of the service, which means that if Disney was going to buy out those 33% of Comcast shares, it would cost them about $9 billion. But Comcast has also made public statements saying that they believe that the service is actually significantly more valuable than $27.5 billion and may well seek out another higher valuation to jack up the selling price. So in the middle of all of this, after a disastrous box office summer and amid a streaming environment where losses have fallen to just half a billion dollars a quarter, Disney will also be saying goodbye to a $9 billion minimum amount of money to buy Hulu out from Comcast and send money into the pockets of one of their biggest competitors. Say what you will about Bob Iger, and people have said a lot, but you can't say that the man isn't busy, and he may just be regretting coming out of retirement, because as high as Disney was flying several years ago when it seemed like they were an unbeatable juggernaut, they have been kicked down in the street at every turn this summer, and it looks like unless they can come up with a strategic Hail Mary, they're going to have to weather these blows for just a little while longer. So there you have it, a particularly nightmarish summer for Disney, amid a particularly nightmarish summer for the entertainment industry, amid a particularly nightmarish three years or so for the industry as a whole. Let's see if things get better. What do you think? Can you think of anybody who had a worse summer on a corporate level than Disney? Let me know down in the comments below and thank you so much for watching. And as always, be sure to stay tuned right here for more movie news, reviews, box office, and more. Until next time, stay safe and I'll see you then. Bye.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.